Well, we're coming to our last session tonight, and um, we're ending the book of Philippians. We're coming to the last chapter, chapter 4. So far, we have talked about uh, growth from the Lord, from Jody last night, and unity for the Lord from Miriam this morning. And now we're going to talk about contentment in the Lord. And think about how that intersects with partnership in the gospel. Contentment and partnership in the gospel. When I looked up contentment, I wasn't on Pinterest, but I do love Google. So I Googled, because everything's true on Google. So I Googled contentment. It means it is the state of happiness and satisfaction. I also like to do a Google image search to see what will come up when you type in a word. I guess that's kind of like a Pinterest board, right? <laughs> so this is what I found when I looked up contentment. I found images of a sunset. That sounds nice, right? A calm lake, kind of like the pond over here um, that some of us enjoyed earlier today. Um, sitting under the shade of a tree. Sounds very nice. We did that today too, right? Yeah, it's very content today. Um, spending time in nature, a lot of nature pictures, fields and lakes and always outside. And it gave me the impression that if we want to find contentment, we got to go find a lake and be outside somewhere, right? If I, want to, if I want calm, that's what I need to find. But in this passage that we're going to look at tonight, Paul um, does not talk about contentment in that way. Uh, and this is good because sometimes we can't find a nice lake when we really need it, right? Um, and sometimes we can't just go to the shore for a weekend vacation. Uh, Paul says that we can find contentment in any situation, not just when we're out in nature. And he's going to tell us this is not just a pull up your bootstraps and put on a happy face and just like grin and bear it and say, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to be happy. It's not contentment that you can muster up on your own. Okay, It's not something that comes from our circumstances. It doesn't come from ourselves. He's going to tell us that contentment ultimately comes from the Lord. It ultimately comes from the Lord. So I'm going to read the passage for us. It's chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. And as I read it, listen for this theme of contentment coming from the Lord. So I'll read it and then I'll, I'll pray for us. He starts in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray. God, we ask for your help right now that we would 
have ears to hear and hearts to receive and eyes to see the truths that you have for us in the scriptures. We want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. So we beg you, speak to us tonight. In Christ's name, amen. In our short time this weekend, we have seen the theme of unity and partnership in the book of Philippians. Um, Many people would say that the book of Philippians is about joy, and I agree. There's a lot about joy in Philippians, but I think the theme of partnership and unity just sounds a little bit stronger. So that's why our title is Joyful Partnership in the Gospel. We have both. But just remember, just to refresh our memories, because I know there's been a lot happening. Um, Jody, uh, on, on the first night last night, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, he talks about thanking God in his prayers because of their partnership in the gospel. And then Miriam was talking to us this morning. She led us to the context of her passage in chapter 1, verse 27, where he talked about wanting them to be standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then in her passage, chapter 2, verse 2, he talked about being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and, and of one mind. Paul is talking about partnership between him and the Philippians, but also within the Philippians church as well. Um, Have you heard the phrase, there's no I in team, right? There's no I in team. For a team to work well, to be in unity, we have to have all the parts working together. We have to have the parts in partnership. And, and for, for this situation here with the Philippians, I've, I've heard this um, likened to a three-way partnership, like a three-fold partnership where you have Paul and you have the Lord and you have the Philippian church and they each have a part to play in gospel ministry. So let's look here in verse 10 to see this in the, in the text itself. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord. Greatly that now at length you, Philippians, have revived your concern for me. Do you hear the the threefold partnership there? You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Okay, so there's our word content. Paul's talking about contentment. And, And he knows that the Philippian church wanted to partner with him, but they didn't have an opportunity to do so. So he assures them, I know you were concerned for me, but even if you can't partner, I'm okay. I'm okay because I have learned, he says, in whatever situation I am, to be content. It's this sense of making progress, right? He uses the word, he has learned to be content. Does anybody else like me need to learn to be content, right? Um, Paul isn't a super Christian who right after conversion, just everything changes and he's content in anything and everything. He has to learn it. And so we do too. We have to learn it. It's like a new workout, right? You, You go to the gym or you have some things you're doing at home and you're trying to work out certain muscles and they just, you know, don't quite bend that way yet. They, like the apple tree, right, from last night. you got to, like, train it to, to go a certain way. But, but your body eventually learns as it gains experience with you flexing the muscles. So same with our ability to be content in any and every situation. That's very sweeping, right? Um, I'm not here to tell you, like, just be happy. I don't think Paul is either. I think it's something that we have to learn, and we can keep learning it until we know it. 
And Paul had a whole range of exercises. He says in verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And for those of us who have studied Acts, uh, we've has already been brought up. We've learned a lot about Paul in Acts, right? And we know what Paul has had to face. He was a gospel worker engaged in hard work. He faced rejection and stoning and mob attacks. And yet, Paul says at the end of verse 11, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He can say that. At the end of verse 12, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. He can say that. Well, I want to know what's the secret He says, I've learned the secret. What is the secret? Does anybody know the book um, published over a decade ago now, I think, called The Secret? Does anybody remember that? It sold sold over 30 million copies, 50 different languages. I think it was Rhonda Byrne who wrote it. Um, I looked it up. Google, help me. And the back of the book says, as you learn the secret, you will come to know how you can have, be, or do anything you want. And that sounds great, but it is complete garbage. <laughs> Throw that book away. Put it in the trash. Here's the true secret. Paul gives it to us. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's his secret. He's learned whether or not I am well supplied, I have Christ. Whether or not I'm in need, I have Christ. Whether or not I abound, I have Christ. Whether or not I am brought low, I have Christ. Paul's strength training here is not lifting weights. His strength training is knowing Christ. The secret is knowing Christ. Every situation that he's gone through, whether it's good or it's bad, he looks to Christ. And the more he knows Christ and looks to him, the more he learns that he can do all things through him who strengthens him. Philippians 4.13 is a very famous verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, isn't it? We've seen this verse used for anything from getting a job to winning the Super Bowl, right? But I think Paul has far more ordinary things in mind, which is really comforting to me. Whether we've been able to make good friends at Trinity or whether we're still looking for that, we have Christ. Whether we've lost someone dear to us this year or whether we're pregnant or about to have a baby or we just had a baby, we have Christ in either situation. Whether we're driving a comfy SUV or the oldest beater that we thank God every time it turns on, we have Christ. Whether we're in a season of plenty or in a season of want, we have Christ. And this is the mind of Christ. What Paul is saying here, he is simply echoing Christ himself. Paul has the mind of Christ. Think about it. Christ, we heard this from Miriam this morning, Christ has been brought low. And Christ has abounded. Christ has died on a cross. And he was raised to glory. He suffered immensely. But now he reigns on high. 
This is the gospel message. Christ has been brought low and he has abounded. But the caveat here is that for Christ, there's no reason he should have been brought low. There is no reason he should have died on a cross. There's no reason he should have suffered the way he did. There's no reason for this because he is the Lord. He's the perfect living God, and yet he was brought low anyway. He died anyway. He did it for what reason, but that we learned about this morning, he did it so that in his suffering he could die the death that we deserve. So that in his, so that in in him dying and then being raised to glory, we could as well. As I think about this, I think this idea of contentment being brought low and being brought high. What leads to discontentment for us? What is it that leads to discontentment? Is it, and it's going to be different for each of us, is it relationships? Is it your vocation, your job? Is it wanting to be in a different season of life? Like, I'm single and I want to be married, or I don't have kids and I want them, or I have some but I want more. Right? There's, there's going to be discontent everywhere. We need, but we need to keep in mind, like, what leads us to discontentment? And when we find ourselves in these low situations, when we find ourselves, quote-unquote, facing hunger, we find ourselves in the same place as Christ, who was brought low. So we must take great comfort in this, knowing that our Savior is the one that we follow. He's gone through lower situations than we go through, Right? I mean, he was hungry for 40 days. That's never happened to me. Yeah, I mean, there's a snack table up there. I'm never going hungry. As we follow him in weakness, we follow him in glory because Christ has abounded, right? He faces plenty. He has all the riches in heaven. And one day, those will be ours. And sometimes we do get glimpses of that now, here on earth, by God's grace. By God's grace, we have a snack table up there, right? On earth here, we have plenty. And I think most of us in this room have quite a lot compared to others. Um, I think then the, the, the application for us here in this is that let us be careful then that when we abound, that we would still take comfort in Christ, Right? Maybe you do have the best job in the world. Is that where you find your contentment and happiness? Or do you find it in Christ? Maybe you have more friends than you need. But is that what fulfills you? Or is it Christ? Maybe you think that eventually getting married or having kids or having more kids, that's going to bring contentment. But be careful to always find contentment in the Lord. We need to learn this contentment, whether we are high or low. And the secret, the secret is recognizing all that Christ did for us and all that he gives to us. In Christ, we can do all things. Uh, I've read a commentator that paraphrases 4.13 saying, In Christ, you have all you ever need. In Christ, you have all you ever need. So take comfort when you're low. And take comfort and, and perhaps be careful when you're high. Contentment always comes from the Lord. But what we're going to see in this next section, verses 14 to 20, 
is that the Lord actually often uses people to provide what we need. And um, these two things are not opposed to each other, right? It's a three-way partnership. Contentment always comes from the Lord, but sometimes he uses people to do it. So in verse 14, um, he returns, Paul returns to the subject of the Philippians' concern for him. He says, verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Verse 17, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphrodite the gifts that you sent, which were a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, as we're at this point in the letter, he's starting to close down his letter here, right? You may have heard that this letter that um, Paul wrote to the Philippians is like a thank you note, right? It's a thank you note. And um, Jody hit on this a little bit last night. Uh, the church sent Paul, the Philippian church sent Paul a gift via Epaphroditus, so we just read there, and Paul wrote this letter to thank them for it, Right? It's wonderful how the Philippians have partnered with Paul. And, I mean, we might even say that the church in Philippi is like a model church for this. If I was going to be a missionary, I would want the First Baptist Church of Philippi to be my sending church. They're just so generous in what they do and how they give. But it's hard to believe that no other church entered into partnership with them. I don't know if he's just trying to, like, say this for rhetorical effect. Nobody else gave, but... I mean, it obviously made an impression on him. I mean, can you imagine? It's like having a lot of kids, but then only one of them stays in touch with you. You know, you're just kind of like, nobody else wants to, like, be in touch with me? No other church planted by Paul wanted to partner with him? But for Paul, his contentment is not in whether or not people send gifts. He says that in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, right? His contentment comes from the Lord. But when they send gifts, man, that's encouraging. Man, that's so encouraging when they do send gifts. Because in their very act of giving, verse 17, it shows the fruit of the gospel in their lives. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. It's, it's a sense of spiritual fruit. The gospel has produced fruit, which is manifested in the gift that they send to Paul. The Philippians know they've been given everything in Christ. They've been given everything in Christ, and then they are prepared then to give to others. Their contentment is not found in what they have. Their contentment is found in the Lord. It's not found in their money. They're ready to give it away. They happily give generously to Paul. They, it says, they supplied him well. I wonder who we can be supplying well in our lives. I, I think if we're thinking about a church and ministry, I mean, I think... Do we supply our church well, right? Um, I mean, our church budget is made, made up of a lot of different things, but I think uh, a big one would be, do we supply our pastors well? The people like Paul building into the Philippian church. Are we, are we supplying the, the, the men who are pouring into us? Um, who, are, who are the missionaries that we support? We, now we all know who they are, right? Because we prayed for them all today. Do we supply them with what they need to live? What ministries could use our help? 
Alpha Care, Cradle of Hope, Safe Families, A New Day. Maybe you're on the receiving end. Maybe, maybe, well, you should still probably be giving, but when you're on the receiving end, do you rejoice in the fruit that you see by these people just giving out of their abundance or out of nothing? Like the Philippians giving out of nothing? What, what the Philippians give and what we give, uh, it, it's described in, in verse 18 there towards the end as this fragrant offering. It's a fragrant offering to God. It's a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This is Old Testament language talking about this, this outward gift. Um, the outward gift that's a manifestation of this inward reality, right? This spiritual fruit. Um, it's the physical picture of it. And um, the same language is actually used of Christ. So just like we follow Christ in a abounding abounding and being low um, we follow him in this too uh, Ephesians 5 2 if you have your Bible you can turn to it but I know a lot of us are using those little Bibles if you don't have your Bible open don't worry about it I'll just read it for you in Ephesians 5 2 it says Christ loved us and gave himself up for us so he died on the cross and how does how does Paul describe it there it was a fragrant offering and it was a sacrifice to God his death his death was that, a fragrant offering, sacrifice to God. Our offerings are the same thing. It's an application of what Christ offered for us. We offer because Christ offered himself to us. And as we think about this, these gifts that are happening, it's this sort of circle that happens. Because verse 19 then Paul uh, says there in verse 19, um, you give to me and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So it's like this reciprocal thing, but not quite reciprocal in, in the way we think. Um, the Philippians give to Paul and then the Lord gives to the Philippians, right? It's this three-way partnership. Because the Lord uses people to give what is needed. And as gifts are given, then the circle continues, and then it just keeps going. And, and, and in all of this, Paul is finding contentment in the Lord. And the Philippians are finding contentment in the Lord. Because in Christ, we have every need met. And sometimes he uses people to meet those needs. And sometimes those needs aren't met, and we're just content in Christ. Because in him, we have all we ever need. Both are true. Sometimes he uses people, and sometimes we're just content in him. Christ will hold us fast. He is our only hope in life and death. Contentment ultimately comes from the Lord. Are we content in Christ alone? Are we? We can learn it. We can learn to be content because we know the secret. We have the secret. The secret is knowing Christ, all that he did for us and all that he gives to us. He is all we ever need. So we've learned about growth in the Lord, and we've learned about unity for the Lord, and we're ending here in contentment in the Lord. And I am hoping and praying that, that God would help us with this. He wants to. I want him to help us in this because I pray that we will help one another press on in this. We need partners. And, it, and these are the partners right here that God has given us in this room. We're, we're the partners. We, we need to thank God for that, that he's given us such great partners. And then we need to encourage one another with these truths from last night to this morning to now. So that we can say, verse 20, to our God and Father... Be glory forever and ever. 
Amen. Let me pray. God, we do want these truths, truths to be planted deep in us so that what Paul wrote of the Philippian church, this beautiful, joyful partnership could be said of Trinity Community Church, that we have a joyful partnership in the gospel. We can't do this without you because we need you to do these things in and through us. And we need our contentment to come from you. We've learned that tonight. So we're asking and we're praying that you would help us. And we trust that you will. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.